You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. We watched the 6 o'clock news broadcast of some tragic accident that had taken place, and we think, well, that's a shame, but those things don't happen to me. They happen to other people. And listen, I'm not suggesting that we walk around in some kind of a morbid state, you know, always thinking about death, but we need to realize it could happen to us, any of us, at any time. And thus, what do we need to do? We need to live accordingly. Many of us would be quick to agree that it isn't until old age sets in that we truly begin to think about our mortality. The younger we are, the more we're convinced that we'll live forever and that sudden tragedy is nothing we need concern ourselves with. In today's message, Pastor Mike reflects on the finite nature of our lives and how we should live accordingly to that reality. In his study, you'll learn that while it's certainly unhealthy to dwell on death, we should be no less mindful of our certain fate of our temporary bodies. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20 as he begins his message, Just One Step. with me to where we left off last time. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Title is Just One Step. Just One Step. Okay, so before we actually get into our text, let's back up a little bit. Last time together, if you remember, we talked about Saul's fit of rage and jealousy and his unsuccessful attempt to kill David. Uh, In fact, let's quickly go back to chapter 19, the previous chapter, and uh, in verses 8 through uh, 10. So 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines. Obviously, he was very successful in this particular campaign. Struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now, obviously, this caused a great uh, jealousy within Saul because of David's success. Verse 9. And thus, the distressing spirit from the Lord, once again, came upon Saul because of his jealousy, as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. Uh, Remember, David initially was called into the court of Saul to serve as uh, an instrument of comfort for Saul during the times when God had sent that distressing spirit, that evil spirit, upon him to soothe him and comfort him through the songs that he sung and the harp that he played. But in verse 10, we are told, Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with his spear, 
But he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. So David, fleeing for his life, runs to the prophet Samuel. And at that time, remember, Samuel was in Ramah, and that was where the school of the prophets was located there in Naioth, where he, that is David, was supernaturally protected by the Lord. And remember last time we went through that account, it's recorded first in that previous chapter, chapter 19, verses 19 through 24. And basically what happened then was three different groups of Saul's henchmen, including one last party with Saul leading it, had come to Ramah, where the school of the prophets were, where Samuel was, to take David and then to kill him. But with each try, they were all overwhelmed by the Spirit and were incapacitated. And notice there, the last verse of chapter 19, Saul was a part of that last company, as I had already mentioned, and he, that is Saul, also stripped off his clothes, so he's naked, and he prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. And therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets. So Saul now is naked, lying on his face, and he's proclaiming the glories of God, as the Spirit of God had come upon him. And so, therefore, David had ample time to flee. So, anyway, picking up now in chapter 20, David is heading back to find his friend Jonathan there in Gibeah. And in verse 1 we read of chapter 20, Then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? You see, David was aware of the king's mental state, his condition. He knew how fickle the king was and how that any good intentions that may have come over Saul in Nioth when he was subdued by the Spirit would soon pass away. You see, that was all about God speaking to Saul. And Saul should have gotten the message when he was incapacitated, when the Spirit fell upon him, he's lying on his face. He couldn't do anything as far as following through with his desire to uh, take uh, David and kill him. What was God's message to Saul at that time? Keep your hands off of David. But obviously Saul did not get the message. And so anyway, David then leaving there is looking to Jonathan for some answers. And at first, Jonathan didn't believe David. Okay, so let's pick up now in verse 2. So Jonathan said to him, now, David gone back to Jonathan, what's going on here? I, th I thought that your father had made an oath not to seek to take my life. And so he's going back now to Jonathan to, you know, to see what had happened and what had taken place in that conversation that he had with his uh, father. So Jonathan said to him, by no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father, Saul, will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? Is it not uh, so? And so anyway, it was only as David earnestly reasoned with his friend Jonathan did he come to believe that his father may have went back 
on his word. Remember the oath that Saul had taken. In fact, it's recorded for us. Let's go back quickly to chapter 19 and verse 6. As Jonathan, Saul's son, was trying to reason with his dad. And in verse 6, notice Saul enters into this oath. So Saul heeded the word, the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. And so anyway, Jonathan agrees to do whatever asked, and the two friends renewed their covenant with each other. Let's pick up now in verses 3 and 4. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So David is trying to reason with Jonathan and let him know that his father, Saul, had changed his mind and now that he was totally intended to take David's life. And so Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. So Jonathan once again and David enter into this covenant oath uh, one with another. Now this phrase, let's go back to verse 3 for a moment. This phrase, verse 3, notice there it says, there is but a step between me and death. And by the way, that's where we get the title of just one step. And how true this statement is. You see, David knew that his life could end at any moment. There was only one step. But if you think about it, this is also true of us. Because we never know when death is going to happen. I mean, we're not going to live forever, you know, contrary to what most of us believe, especially those of us who are young, right? You know, we're not thinking about death. We have our whole lives ahead of us. We're making plans, you know, for the future. For example, we read the newspapers or we watch the six o'clock news broadcast of some tragic accident that had taken place. And we think, well, that's a shame but those things don't happen to me. They happen to other people. And listen, I'm not suggesting that we walk around in some kind of a morbid state, you know, always thinking about death, but we need to realize it could happen to us, any of us, at any time. And thus, what do we need to do? We need to live accordingly. You know, I was, uh, as I was driving in from my home over in New Jersey, I was listening to uh, 1010 Winds, as I often do, as I'm traveling in my car, and last night there were 17 shootings right here in New York City. And uh, many of those people who were shot, some of them died, some of them survived, but some of them died, and many of those people who were shot were young people, and some of those who were killed were young people. You just never know. At any time, no matter how young you are or healthy you are, we are, there is just one step between us and death. Listen, we need to live for God. We need to live in the service of God with eternity always in view because you just never know. You know, as a cross-reference for this, I'm going to ask you to turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel according to Luke, just for a moment. And in Luke's Gospel in chapter 12, we are introduced to a rich farmer and, uh, who is prospering. And picking up now in 
Luke's Gospel in chapter 12, beginning in verse 16. There we are told, Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. So he was prospering. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater ones. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. No concern for the future. No concern for one day that he would know uh, that God would call him a home, right? No thought of the future. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And I think, you know, many people today, that's their philosophy of life. Just eat, drink, and be merry. You know, live for today with no thought of the future, no thought of eternity. But notice verse 20, but God said to him, fool. So we're foolish if we don't think about eternity. This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? And listen, you know, there's nothing wrong with planning for the present and, you know, prospering. And if God puts us in a position where we are able to prosper, there's nothing wrong with that. But we always need to keep eternity in view. We need to live for God in his service, always with eternity in view. We need to make sure that everything is right within our lives. In other words, we just need to set our priorities straight. Because why? You never know. And if these things are in order, if all of your priorities are set straight, listen then, it is then only one step to eternal life. And remember, Jesus is that step. So make sure that Jesus is a high priority within your life, seeking him, obeying him, serving him. Now, getting back to our text, let's go back to our text now. This oath our two friends had uh, made. Over the years, Jonathan had come to believe that David, not himself, was destined to be Israel's next king. And therefore, the pact that they now made included their uh, children. Notice there in verse 15. Let's jump ahead uh, here in chapter 20 to verse 15. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So listen, this is no small thing on Jonathan's part. Remember, Jonathan was the king's successor. He was the oldest child. He was the firstborn of Saul, who was the king. And that meant that he would be the successor to the uh, throne, that he would ascend to the throne, that that would be his right. But I want you to notice, and you've got to commend Jonathan here, because he knew that, he, that what God was doing, and he wouldn't challenge what God had purposed to do. That is, David placed as the next king over Israel. So you've got to commend Jonathan for this. This is no small thing, right? So anyway, and then let's go back to our text, verses 5 through 7. And David said to Jonathan, after they made this pact, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I'll explain all of this for you in just a moment, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. Again, 
David knowing that Saul was seeking to kill David. If your father misses me at all at that feast of the new moon, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, where he was born, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all of the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. So this was the way that David would ascertain whether or not Saul was determined to kill David. Now let's talk about this feast of the new moon. The new moon was a festival that was marked by consecration to God. It took place each new month in the year. It was marked by sacrifices. It was marked by the blowing of uh, trumpets and a suspension of labor and also family feasts. And so that's what's being described for us here, this feast that happened monthly that Saul uh, hosted. This feast of the new moon was only a day or two away, and at this time each month Saul invited his special members to a time of banqueting. And uh, some of his guests would have obviously included each month Jonathan, who had a very special place in his court, Abner, remember Abner was the commander of Saul's army, as well as uh, David, all of these high officials of a state. And by the way, if you want some additional information concerning this feast of the new moon, you can read about it in the book of Numbers in chapter 29, verses 11 through uh, 15. And once again, special sacrifices were to be offered, and uh, all of these different things were a part of this new moon uh, the festivities of this new moon uh, celebration. But notice here, David, however, chose to remain in hiding because he, he thought if I attended it, it would just provide an opportunity for Saul to kill him. And so David chose to remain in hiding, and he and Jonathan, after they made this pact, developed a strategy to determine Saul's true attitude towards his son-in-law, David. And thus, when Saul inquires why David had not come to the feast, Jonathan would uh, say to his father David, he would tell him, rather his father Saul, that David's older brother required his presence for a special family get-together there in the city of uh, Bethlehem, according to what's recorded for us there in verse 29 of this chapter. Well, anyway, the first evening of the feast, now Saul is gathered together with those high officials the first evening of the feast. According to verse 26, follow along with me. I'm going to move quickly now. Saul said nothing about David's absence. So Saul was probably thinking, well, you know, maybe he presumed David had contracted some ceremonial defilement. And you can read about the, the various uh, things that were a part of impurities that would have uh, disqualified anyone from attending uh, one of these festivities. It was a pretty extensive list of impurities that are listed for us there in the book of Leviticus in chapter 15. So that took place the first night. So it doesn't seem as if Saul was uh, taken back initially by David not being there on this occasion. But the second evening, notice there in verse 27, however, Saul questioned Jonathan. Where's David? 
And also, Saul must have referred to David in a most derogatory uh, manner. But Jonathan, with a masterful control over his emotions, told the story that David had devised as a means of disarming Saul's true feelings towards him. Let's pick up now in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 20. And so Jonathan answered Saul. Again, Saul was questioning Jonathan, where's David? And Jonathan responded and said, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, Bethlehem, and my brother, the oldest brother, had commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. But listen, Saul was not appeased by Jonathan's explanation. And thus, Saul's anger burned against his son, and the king spoke words that were calculated to inflict deep hurt. Let's pick up now in verses 30 and 31. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, David, to your own shame over his own father, Saul, and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Now I want you to notice two things here. First of all, Saul betrayed his own awareness of David's destiny. Do you see that there? He knew that God had chosen David in his place. So the first thing, he betrays his own awareness of David's destiny as Israel's next king. And then secondly, also notice, he insults his wife, who was as righteous as her son, Jonathan. Well, I guess her piety and righteousness could no longer be tolerated in Saul's presence. He rejected both his wife and her firstborn son, Jonathan. And then notice in verse 32, Jonathan answers his father and says, Saul answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he, David, be killed? What has he done? And then in verse 33, Saul flies into a rage and he throws his spear in the direction of Jonathan. But fortunately, he missed. Can you imagine that? Trying to kill your own son. Jonathan, verse 34, is angered by his father's insults and actions, and he leaves the room. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. If you've missed any part of this message, you'll find it online at harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Venezio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. 
As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can connect with us. We want to hear from you. If you've been listening for months or even the first time today, let us know. Have you been blessed by a teaching here on In My Father's House? Have you been able to share what you've learned with someone else? We want to hear your story. It's such an encouragement and brings us great joy to know how this program is blessing our listeners. So please, let us know you've been tuning in. You can send us a message right from our website. Just go to harvestnyc.org and click on Contact. You'll find a form to fill out and we'll connect with you as soon as possible. You can also let us know you've been listening by sending an email to harvestnyc at verizon.net. Please feel free to share your prayer request too. We'd be honored to join you in seeking God's direction in your life. Again, just email harvestnyc at verizon.net. If you're listening to our broadcast and aren't in the Manhattan area, We'd like to invite you to join our weekly worship services live on our website. We stream our gatherings on Thursday at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more and connect at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. Join Pastor Mike next time for another edition of In My Father's House. (laughs) 